Over 350 race starts, over 100 podiums, 46 fastest lap, 21 wins and a world championship during a 20-year stint in the sport. Not bad for a driver who calls Formula One a hobby. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast, everybody. This is episode number 160, where we're going to be honouring and saying goodbye to the one and only Kimi Raikkonen. I'm your host, George Housen, and joining me today are Jared Yacoub from the Hit the Apex podcast, journalist Mikhail Kataya, and Kimi Raikkonen superfan Dev Tiagi. Hey, guys. Right, lads. So, yeah, I mean, Kimi Raikkonen, like I said, 20 years in the sport. He made his debut in 2001, and this weekend, 2021, Abu Dhabi Grand Prix will be his last race start in Formula One unless he makes some sort of a miraculous comeback like he did about 10 years ago or so but I'm just gonna go around I mean I'll start I'll start with you Mikhail because you are Finnish and obviously you probably had more exposure to Kimi Raikkonen and a lot of us I mean obviously Finland has had so many great Formula One drivers Keke Rosberg, Mika Hakkinen, and Valtteri Bottas as well now but how do how do the people in Finland kind of rank him amongst all these guys where does Raikkonen stack up against the other greats from Finland? <laughs> Um, I would probably, uh, I imagine that he would probably be number one among that group. I mean, obviously, you know, Mika has a, has more championships, but I feel like, like Kimi has made a more of an impact in Finland. I mean, I would argue he's made a more of an impact in the, in F1 as a sport overall as well. So I guess culturally Kimi also has that very good representation of what a lot of Finnish people like, which is just that like no bullshit attitude of basically just not having real time to like small talk with like the reporters or anything, which is which is why a lot of us a lot of us favor. So I feel like this kind of cult-ish uh, image of Kimi in a way as well is definitely contributing to it. So I would I strongly believe that if there was a ranking, then Kimi would be there high above everyone else. Of course, you know, Keke and uh and Mika also have a lot of, of respect in their name because of their success and, and pioneering state. But I, I, I think Kimi, Kimi takes the cake on this one. Yeah, and part of that obviously is just the longevity. I mean, he has he has the most race starts in Formula One. He will have that record for a little bit. He'll probably be broken by Fernando Alonso next year. But let's not take that away from him. I mean, three hundred and fifty race starts. I remember when Barrichello had three hundred and twenty odd, and everybody thought no one's ever going to beat that. But Kimi's Kimi's beat that comfortably now. And that, and that's the thing about Raikkonen and Dev. You know, it's it's much more than the driving. It's it's the off track stuff, especially in in recent seasons as well, where he's been at Alfa Romeo. He's not been in the competitive car but he always makes headlines he always you, you know you always want to hear what Kimi Raikkonen has to say about the race even if he's not been involved anywhere near the front of it yeah I think that was uh, one of uh, the best things about Kimi that uh, even when he didn't really have uh, uh, he was never uh, much of a garrulous talker you know if I may put it like that but even then his insights uh, on on the tracks on the cars and you know the sport in general were uh, very telling if uh, one were to use uh, stuff like that. For example, we were having this discussion before we started recording that uh, the next season is going to be a bit hectic for drivers because I think 23 races. And I think Kimi called it. He said it uh, that, you know, it's going to be really, really taxing and uh, burdensome in a way for the drivers. So, I mean, for a guy who built his career about on, on the principle of not giving a shit, actually kind of discarded himself from <laughs> from it and uh, came out and uh, offered a view. So, uh, you know, as, as Mikhail uh, rightly said that uh, somebody who would uh, 
you know, a no nonsense, no bullshit attitude, you know, calls a spade a spade and just says things how he feels it. He was also very, very fair uh, when he finally said that it doesn't matter to me that who wins the championship. Uh, and, you know, whenever he was asked this rhetorical question, he said this, his reply was, uh, you know, the guy who collects the most points at the end of the season. So it was his uh, no nonsense, authentic way of saying what he felt. And, uh, you know, for him, most tracks were any which ways about like driving a car in circles, and that's that's what he felt, and he always said it. So there was no pretense and uh, not trying to posture like somebody else, and I think that's what made the unique Iceman identity. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna say it a lot. I mean, it's already been said a few times, but it, it is no no BS. That's the thing. There's no a bit like Nicky Lauder as well. He says what he thinks, and he sticks to it, and he truly believes in it, and. That's admirable in this day and age of all the all the PR stuff, all the media and everything. Everybody afraid of the backlash of saying X, Y, and Z. Kimi Raikkonen just says it, and it's genuine. And that's why so many people like him. I mean, you know, people like Daniel Ricciardo. He's extremely popular. He's extremely likable. But I think Raikkonen is above that. I think Raikkonen is the most popular driver in Formula One just because he's it's just genuine. He's just a genuine person at the end of the day, you know. And you can relate to him in some ways. People want to be like him because of that. I mean, Jared, other than influencing your wardrobe choices, I mean, what kind of influences can we write and had on? For those listening on the audio, by the way, Jared has got full Lotus F1 gear in at the moment. So that's why I'm saying that. It's, it's been a while since I've had to had the opportunity to wear that. Anyway, yeah, um, I think it's a bit of both, you know, like his skill on track as well as just the whole enigma of the Iceman as well. Obviously, if we're talking about Lotus, he came back to the sport at a time where social media was just um, kind of on the verge of encompassing F1, you know, at the time, obviously, under Bernie E and CVC, it was frowned upon by them. You couldn't really get into the paddock with Instagram and Twitter and all that. So it was great to see what, you know, the Lotus team were trying to do to build the enigma of the Iceman and everything. And, you know, his interviews that he did for things like Top Gear and uh, the Dudesons, you know, like which is a Finnish equivalent of Jackass, I think, got him onto. But yeah, you know, above all, I think it's his on track stuff, you know, the non no nonsense attitude. And you forget that he's been around for that long because he was there when Fernando Alonso won his two titles. Then the last world champion for Ferrari as well now, which was 2007, such a long time ago. You know, they're still trying to get one since then. And then obviously the time where he came back with Lotus. So yeah, Kimmy's just, you know, the no nonsense attitude. He's just yeah you know that's the kind of driver i've managed to to like at the time when he was at his peak in formula one that's the thing about Raikkonen. he's gone through so many years you know he's one of the few drivers who have gone through the v10s the v8s and now he's in the v6s as well and surprisingly during an interview with um, the f1 podcast he uh said that the v6s were actually his favorite engines out of all of them which is something you wouldn't hear very often from most of the guys most of the guys are just go for v10s 100 but yeah you know he's been he's been around forever at the end of the day but let's let's wind the clock back let's go all the way back to the start 2001 he gets his debut for Sauber, which is the team he drives for now, effectively. It's, it's still Sauber, it's just Alfa Romeo branded. But he gets his debut in 2001. And I think, Mikhail, I think he had something like a, a dozen car races to his name by the time he made his debut. But he scored points in his debut. And he had a very good first season when nobody really expected it. Everybody was saying, who is this Who is this Raikkonen kid from Finland? Like, he's not experienced enough. He's not ready for F1. But 
he hit the ground running straight away, which so shows you know his incredible natural talent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, obviously, I was way too young at the time to to remember or, or follow this, but yeah, it's it's always when we've been talking about Kimi in terms of speculating when he's going to retire or whatever, and then you know you you look back to like his entry to the sport coming from kind of. I mean, completely left field, not really following any possible junior tracks with very little expertise, and then just going to uh, to Mugello in 2000 and testing for Sauber, and then basically, you know, blowing away everyone, including Peter Sauber at the time, and, you know, effectively earning his race position. I mean, of course, you know, there was a lot of speculation whether or not, you know, someone as young as him and someone as formally inexperienced as he was. How he would do, but yeah, we saw it right away in the in his first race, scoring points in the old point system, being harder than what it is today. And then the fact that he had such a solid season that he was able to actually then, you know, outperform any other competitors to a hacking and seat for the for the next season at McLaren. So effectively, he kind of proved his uh, his caliber in his first season. And you know, in a way, you can you can see that type of. No nonsense, no nonsense, no nonsense attitude at the time, and it just kept going afterward. Yeah, absolutely. That's the incredible thing as well. You know, he came, he came in with barely any experience at all in car racing, nothing in Formula One at all, and you know, he he took the place of Mika Hakkinen, who won the world championship as recently as uh, two years ago. At that time, you know, he took the place of Hakkinen for two thousand and two at McLaren. That that's that's incredible. And again, when he went to McLaren. Car wasn't very reliable in 2002. A lot of mechanical failures. Didn't really get much of a chance. Still got some podiums though, but his podium on his McLaren debut as well, which is amazing. But 2003 though, Dev. I mean, you know, obviously, Raikkonen would go on to win a title in 2007. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know. But years like 2003 and 2005, arguably, we've said it a few times on the show. Arguably, were his best years, and arguably, he should have probably won the title that year. Had things worked out a little differently but this was his third season in F1 and here he is challenging for the title against the great Michael Schumacher no less yeah absolutely you know uh, one of the more uh, underplayed uh, moments of Raikkonen's career is when uh, during his McLaren stint he was uh, able to go half a second faster than Fernando Alonso at Monaco uh, so you know uh, and it's it's one of those famous Grand Prix where uh, you know there was the entire Star Wars paraphernalia out there for one of the movie releases. But then one of the videos, uh, you know, up- upholding Raikkonen's success is that the force was with Raikkonen. And um, that's just that's just the kind of driver he was. And he's been, you know, blisteringly fast and uh, never, never circumspect about, you know, what the track may may hold for him or, you know, what, what the weather conditions would do. So he would just go out there and express himself. And for somebody who broke into Formula One with the experience of, 23 races under his belt to then go on and challenge the supremacy of none other than the the czar of uh, you know formula one the kaiser rather no, michael schumacher i think it was exemplary and um, it was very heartwarming recently when uh, the likes of vettel and alonso were uh, appreciating kimi i mean we know that vettel has been great friends with kimi but fernando alonso kind of reminiscing the fact that they had these past battles uh, during his Renault uh, and his uh, Ferrari years, respectively. And uh, they were saying that, you know, uh, he's so good that uh, even this year, I think he has the record for 115 or 116 overtakes. Not that he would want to remember the, what he did to Vettel this last weekend. But I think over the years, you know, we've seen a remarkable journey 
unfold in front of us and uh, the likes of which we are never going to see again and had it not been for ron dennis's um, uh, encouragement and great leadership we may never have gotten to see the birth of the ice man enigma because he was the one who gave him the name and uh, the mclaren stint would fondly be remembered because it kind of unfurled the ice man ness about uh, raikkonen yeah that's the thing about kimi obviously his, his nickname is the ice man he is cool under pressure at the end of the day but he's also blisteringly fast like he's so he was so quick and just looking at the 2004 season obviously the car was not competitive for mclaren that year it was not very good he got the odd podium but the thing that stands out to me jared is his performance in places like spa he was always so good at spa I, i can't figure out why but it must just be because he just loves the high speed nature of that track i mean he won round there four times during his career yeah he always used to grow an extra leg around spa and you know just excellent performances all the time something in the air there at the Arden Forest i think that just made him go so well there even in his later years i think he got a podium or two i'm pretty sure there with lotus or something but yeah you know with with his early days four wins you know they were i think at one point he had the most wins at spa on the grid of anyone so great such a great record at that particular track hungary was another one i think he did really well at as well cuz i think nine it was the podiums. only nine, nine podiums yeah Definitely. so something to do with also the fact that the finish were well represented there as well in budapest so that was kind of like a de facto home grand prix for them there Yeah that that's very true. I've been I've been to the Hungarian circuit and there's a lot of Finns and a lot of Germans there so when Raikkonen and Vettel were racing at Ferrari which is the era when it was a uh, it was very red I was also very red as well because it was extremely hot <laughs> they bring in of sun cream that's another story for another day um, but for, for 2005 uh, McLaren got their act together again they got another competitive car and it was another title challenge for Raikkonen and I I'd say despite him not winning the title that year I'd say he was the fastest driver in the fastest car but it just wasn't reliable enough Mikhail was it but there were some incredible wins for him that year Yeah definitely if there is if there is one year to kind of rue the chance that he had to win the championship I think it would be 2005 a lot of the the former experts and and TV commentators from Finland also like reminisce to 2005 thinking that you know had he gotten the championship that year you know it might have influenced his entire career in a very different way perhaps you know either staying with with mclaren for a bit longer or you know even when he went to ferrari maybe he wouldn't have been replaced by alonso after a few years so uh, there's a lot of things that could have changed if like the car had just been more reliable if the, if the year had just been better for mclaren as a team i guess but um definitely the the one that was the closest of not getting away i guess but again i mean Kimi doesn't care, right? He's uh he looks at the results and he's like, well, I have all of these nice trophies. Didn't get the biggest one, you know, would get it in a few years, but it definitely was one of his uh the first very mature season he had, I would say in F1. Yeah, absolutely. And I know he d- he says he doesn't have any regrets, and I do believe that, but if he did have one regret, it's probably not pitting at the Nürburgring. I think he probably would still have some some nightmares about that. As as do I to be fair, like I I can never forget that one. If anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, look it up. It was a spectacular tire failure from a from a, 
from a flat spot at the European Grand Prix that year. But yeah, I mean, and if anybody doubts, I mean, some people, some newer fans of F1 might not know how good Kimi Raikkonen was during the day, but the F1 YouTube channel did just upload on boards from Kimi Raikkonen's uh, 2005 Japanese Grand Prix when he went from nearly the back of the grid right the way to win to it. First, yeah. 17th to 1st, Dry conditions, pure pace. You know, uh, the, the championship was already decided in Alonso's favour at that point. He had nothing to lose and he could tell. He he just fully went for it and it was incredible to watch. So if you ever doubt Raikkonen's overtaking ability, go look at that. Watch him pass everybody, <laughs> no matter what car they're in. It was, it was something very, very special. Also, what was special for him, though, is that he did manage to get uh, his first and only world title in 2007, Dev, for Ferrari. And he's still the most recent Ferrari world champion as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's sad that time cannot moonwalk and, and go back to that that era. I remember completely, uh, you know, being engulfed in all things Kimi Raikkonen because I was such a, I've been such a huge Formula 1 fan ever since Mika Raikkonen days. And, you know, 2007 is something uh, very interesting because I remember as, as a young guy and I was, I'm pretty old. Uh, <laughs> probably the oldest of the four that we're talking today. So 2007, just, uh, I mean, the moment you mentioned it just uh, brings me back to when I actually went to study my my master's course and I was moving from one highly populated Indian city to another, another crazy part of the country. And uh, the talk in all sporting circles was about Kimi Raikkonen and, and, you know, the other sporting extravaganza at that time in the world of sports was the Cricket World Cup, you know, I, my knowledge in soccer is zero. So I can only talk about two sports. And uh, 2007 was indeed a very special year. And uh, I remember Facebook had just started setting in into people's lives. And I never had an account. And I remember the other, you know, racing nerds that I had around me, their wallpaper was Kimi. Uh, I think he won that year in Shanghai too, one of, one of the victories. And that particular image was the wallpaper. But coming out of the Facebook and the laptop screens, I would say that uh, that was truly a year where he was, uh, you know, in, in the full wake of his powers. And uh, he must have done something right for somebody as mighty as Lewis Hamilton to say that, you know, it's been a crazy experience to lose a world title to him. And then to have lost it by the barest of margins, which is a solitary point, that was extraordinary. So when you actually head into a Grand Prix, with uh, the lead in the driver's title, it's one thing. But then when you head into a Grand Prix knowing that and everything can be stripped off you, you know, you can just lose it all at the end of the day. And then to keep you cool and then to win it, of course, you know, Ferrari called the called the shots, right, for a change because they've screwed up so many of his races in, the, <laughs> in his latter career. But that time to swap the places and then, you know, to ask uh, Massa to allow him to, you know, Go ahead. I think this is what happened in 2007. So he was assisted by the team and then he was able to hold off uh, the other two. And uh, that's what we saw at the end of the day. And, you know, the great celebrations and then a uh, moment of rarity in that Raikkonen actually did uh, smile, although his biggest smile must have been like this. But I don't know. But it was, it was indeed a special moment, 2007. Definitely was, yeah. And it, it was a long time coming. People have been yeah. tipping him to be a champion in 2003 and 2005. But 2007, he finally got it. And he got it for Ferrari as well. So extra special there. Picking up the gauntlet from, well, picking up the, the incredible results, really, yeah. from Michael Schumacher. That's what he was brought in to do to keep the good results going. And he did. He, did, he absolutely did. And 
like you said, he, he won the final two races, went in the championships, seemed dead and buried after Japan that year, and he won it. He won it in the end, won the final two races, won three of the last four races as well that year to win it, to win his only title. And it was such a tight battle between him, Hamilton and Alonso. Alonso and Hamilton, of course, being teammates at McLaren that year. So for, so for Kimi Raikkonen to do that in arguably at the time, well, definitely at times not the fastest car on the grid, you know, very impressive, very impressive to do that. But unfortunately, his time at Ferrari was limited. He, after 2009, he was he was given the boot in place of Fernando Alonso, that man again. But 2012, after two years out of the sport, he came back, came back for Lotus. And Jared, he did so good that year. He did so much better than they expected that he almost bankrupted the team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an incredible um, story if you've not heard this. Yeah, so apparently, what was the figure that he would be paid per point that he scored uh, that season? Some ridiculous figure. So, of course, you know, then he comes out, scores, what, um, five podiums, six podiums, sorry, plus the win in Abu Dhabi as well and finished third in the Drivers' Championship. I mean, let's not forget the history of the Enstone team leading up to that point. So, 2010 obviously was a good season with with Robert Kubitzer in the car when they were still Renault. Then 2011, they had a bit of problems with their driver lineup and then their form started to dip. And then signing Kimi for 2012, you know, it was an unknown, you know, what what's going to happen here? You know, is he going to just pot around the midfield that's what kind of was expected of the of the team at the time but for him to come out only in his fourth race back at the Bahrain Grand Prix finishing second to Sebastian Vettel with then kind of the emergence of Roman Grosjean as well to be on the podium we're like hang on this Lotus car actually seems like a handy package it does quite well it looks after the Pirelli tires which still were quite volatile in the day quite well and yeah just consistently finishing in the top 10 his race days would be better than his qualifying days and you know it's like wow we've got some vintage vintage Kimi form coming back here and then yeah it was no surprise that at the end of the day that he bankrupted the team which you know like impacted them for years to come let's say but it was a great revival for him and interesting going back to kind of the end of 2011 where it was started to be discussed that Kimi Raikkonen was looking to come back to the sport Williams were a front runner at that point for him as well before at the 11th hour Lotus came into the frame. So imagine how that would have panned out if he ended up going to Williams in 2012. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the I think Toto Wolf was still back there in Williams at that point in time. He was, he was. was. We would have loved to have Kibi in our team, but I don't know how it would have panned out. So (laughs) I don't know. That would have been really different but I mean he gets on with Bottas pretty well obviously but yeah Kimi <laughs> Raikkonen that's um, that'd be interesting that would be interesting that would have been a very interesting one but and of course Williams that year were a winning car they did win a race yeah. so that one race other than that it wasn't that competitive really on the whole but yeah it would have been very interesting to see him in Williams I don't I'm not sure that him and Frank Williams would have gotten too well and also rest in peace uh, Frank Williams as well uh, mm-hmm. I, I think we said that recently on one of the shows but yeah, tra- very tragic news involving him. It's yeah, seventy nine years old. Hell of a hell of a guy. Unbelievably successful himself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let, let's just you know, I've got to mention that as well. But yeah, on the point story here, he. I've got. I, I mean, you don't know how accurate these figures are. They always get branded around and stuff. It gets lost in translation a bit. But the point is, it's, it's here that he would have been paid a bonus of fifty thousand euros per point. 
And that mm. year he scored 390 points, which works out to almost 20 million euros as a bonus. So no, no wonder the almost went bankrupt just from that. I think he's actually still owed money by Lotus. I think he's just never claimed it. Yeah, his would've... last year salary uh, was rumored that he never got it paid. At least yeah. the majority of the last year's salary from uh, Lotus was never paid. No wonder yeah. he decided to get back surgery uh, <laughs> after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Oh yeah, that 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 crash at fifty miles an hour, you know, that that, that was really shaking <laughs> yeah. him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, with with two thousand thirteen special moment for me, watching him at Albert Park win the um, Australian Grand I'm Prix to kick off the yeah. season. So that was yeah, quite special to mm. actually witness a, a Kimi win as well. So the the crowd went wild, and having him Alonso and uh, Vettel on the podium but also going the year before European Grand Prix Valencia we remember Fernando Alonso's win but I thought it was quite special because it was effectively like three generations or three different generations of Ferrari driver on the podium that day with Kimi and with with Michael Schumacher as well his final podium and it would have been special for Andrea Stella to share it with three drivers that he worked with as well. So that's like another special moment I look at when I look at that podium, not just for Kimi, but for for Michael as well and for and for Fernando, one of his finer wins. Yeah, the Valencia Street Circuit was not a good circuit, but its final race in 2012, that was a pretty special one for sure. And you're right. I mean, I remember I remember seeing that podium at the time and thinking, wow, that that is the old guard. Those are the you know, all great champions up on the podium. It's very rare you see that. Vanguard of Formula One. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, if I may just add, there was this one very amusing incident uh, during Kimi's time at Lotus. And I think uh, there was this one time where everybody was asking about where's Roscoe. And Kimi Raikkonen was asked that question in the press conference. Said, oh, "Why you ask him? I mean, I have no idea." So <laughs> they were just trying to amuse, amuse Kimi Raikkonen, asking where where is Roscoe, and then he just kind of almost lost it. And then uh, I think uh, somebody like uh, I'm forgetting her name, Lee McKenzie, was kind of pursuing him for six months to give him give her an interview. And finally, when that happened, and then uh, in popped a question about. Uh, uh, whether Ferrari and uh, Red Bull should start taking Lotus more seriously than they are. And Kimi's answer was, for me, it makes absolutely no difference whether they take us seriously or not. We are here to win and race, and that's what we like doing. And then, nec- uh, and then next up was Abu Dhabi, and he won the race. Mm. <laughs> it was just crazy. It was just insane. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was another crazy race as well. The Abu Dhabi Grand Prix it's very tough because it of course it had I mean it's had a lot of famous radio messages over the years but for me it'll always be this one the the leave me alone I know what I'm doing you know just the, just saying back to his engineer he was generally trying to help him out give him good advice just like no leave me alone just <laughs> you know let me do my thing here and he won the race so fair enough to him oh yeah. my god that was something yeah but the the thing thing the thing for me Mikhail I mean. When he came back, obviously, he was in his 30s, he was in his 20s before he left. The thing about it was incredible for me was that he had he had unbelievable consistency and he had this for a long time. He had this when he went back to Ferrari as well. You know, He wouldn't always win, but he'd always be there or thereabouts. He'd always get a good performance. And I think during that time, he broke the record for the longest continuous point streak over 20 races, a record that stood until Hamilton uh, broke it very recently. Yeah, he did. I think he did that. In he broke it in twenty 
13 or 14 probably i think 13 but yeah it's it's one of the more staple things about about Kimi, I mean, I guess you could say about about Bottas as well recently, looking at least in terms of his uh, Saturday form. But yeah, definitely for Kimi, it's the fact that no matter where, uh, and you see it still today, it's like no matter where he starts the race, generally he's always there, you know, at the top of wherever his car's performance is. He's always able to bring it back on, on Sunday and generally when his car is good enough to, you know, get it somewhere in the points and um, and you could see that definitely in the in his era at lotus and at ferrari as well uh when the strategy was not biting him in the ankle i guess and yeah it's it's one of those those aspects that really bring bring you know his success onto another level is the fact that you could put him on last place and then he would still find a way to get to the points generally if uh if he would, you know, be clear of any problems. And I mean, we remember that great start he had in uh, in Portugal last year. 16th First six. lap. Exactly. 10, 10 positions in, in one lap or one and a half laps. Like performances like this, you just don't see from too many drivers. So, and Kimi has been on it for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's the longevity again. It's incredible. And he, and he also did that in the Lotus and Ferrari days, the second Ferrari stint, he did the arm fairly tires, which a lot of the older drivers struggled on for a long time. Michael Schumacher struggled with them. Mark Webber struggled with them. Alonso struggled with them at times. Hamilton, even so Lewis Hamilton, he struggled with them a lot of time as well. And, and Raikkonen never really seemed to struggle that much compared to those guys. And he was obviously, he missed the first year of Pirelli tires being an F1. So it just shows how good he was, how much natural talent he had that he could be out of the sport for two years and come back and, it's like he's never missed a race you know he's like he's always been there now they always say in formula one that ferrari only asked once but they asked twice for Kimi Raikkonen as he returned in 2014 and again he, he gave his usual response you know i don't harbor any bad feelings they asked me i wanted to come i came so he went he went to ferrari and he had five great years there dev i mean he was he was never the number one driver he was always the number two he was number two to alonso in 2014 and then number two to Vettel in 20 you know the rest of his stint there even though they'll never admit that that was the case but he he provided excellent backup he was always there thereabouts in the podium always playing the team game and he did it excellently absolutely and you know I was just uh, figuring out some numbers uh, before this podcast about his second Ferrari stint and what I found was that you know uh, 2015 three podiums 2016 four 2017 seven and 2018 11. So, you know, the at a time where the common narrative of this whole Kimi bashing was that, you know, the old man has lost it and, you know, he doesn't have in him any more to fight. I mean, these are numbers which clearly suggest that his form was rising and rising and rising. And uh, three incidents for me, particularly in the second stint in Ferrari, with Ferrari rather, uh, completely defined the Iceman enigma and his ice coolness, for the lack of a better word. In 2014, towards the end of the season you know at the Japanese Grand Prix when the race was completed uh, there was a media interview and he was asked whether he can uh, come back and do something special in 2015 and one of the things that would be special would be to actually gather a podium which because he had gone he had gone podium less for the entirety of 2014 his best result by the way that year was a was a p4 at spa in that recall setrant uh, Ferrari car and he said, for sure, we're going to bounce back. And then this is what he did. You know, 2015, he got three podiums. So that to me was 
sign of a man who knew that you know he could get the job done because what he was really lacking is exactly what he got in 2015 which was the front end of a car which basically suited his 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 kind of driving you know tracks which demanded more downforce so you know he he really needed a very competitive front end of the car which he never had the previous year so that was first moment second was the sensational pole position which he got at monaco in 2017 and i can never ever for all the respect i have for sebastian vettel the fact that he was really jumping around at the end of the day winning a grand prix where uh, his teammate was completely sacrificed for his glory only for vettel to spin around and not put up a fight to hamilton i i will never forget those wallpapers where vettel and raikkonen's reactions are completely polar opposites to each other so you have raikkonen who's not sullen but he's ice cold and you know that there is this 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 grimness inside uh and then vettel is all cheery so but 27 that sensational pole lap and i think on lap number 34 uh kimi was asked to box and then uh, vettel got the lead of the race and of course it's very difficult to re-snatch retake the lead uh, in a, in a track like that so monaco's driver sensational of course 2018 the fastest lap at that point in time in formula 1 the 119.119 i mean if there was one grand prix which kind of demonstrated that the ice man still had it in him to fight and guess what take the fight to somebody like the big daddy of formula 1 lewis hamilton sir lewis hamilton rather then it was it was the monster battle and uh, how did raikkonen manage not to win the race and you know of course all the time over the, over the radio communication he was being asked about uh the situation of his tires and you know he was suffering from massive tire wear but um, at one point in time on lap 6 he lost the uh, he considered the lead to lewis then immediately next moment half a lap later he 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 retook the lead and for 35 to 38 uh, 32 to 35 laps he was able to hold on to the lead before hamilton against stastis and that was hamilton's greatness because you know the man who says still i rise basically never said i he actually exemplified it but that that fight the eventual culmination of which was the 100th career podium for kimi that for me would be the one sensational highlight and i dare say to me personally as a fan of the ice man it's the biggest moment like it's like my next generation i will tell them that you know i was there in front of tv if not at monza with the tifosi to see a truly cracker of a contest the 2018 italian grand prix and um, the raikkonen's uh, moves the daring the the great pass over all the other drivers who he was fighting with at that time you know that that special lunge he made down the ascari chicane it was just fantastic stuff so 2018 monza has to be a great great moment yeah i remember that race very fondly as well i remember seeing uh, hamilton and raikkonen battling it out on track yeah. and it was it was just great it was too very experienced great champions just going toe to toe they knew exactly because they battled that many times in the past been battling with each other for over 10 years at that point you know, they knew exactly what the other guy was going to do and they knew how to cover it off and adapt to it and like you said as well 100 podiums at that point for Raikkonen and he ended up getting 103 unless he somehow gets the podium but Abu Dhabi which would be unbelievable that would be his greatest drive I think the other three point. were USA Mexico and Brazil after that mm. but you know over 100 podiums is only five guys in F1 history that's got that there's this him this Hamilton Schumacher Vettel and Prost they're the only ones it just shows the consistency the guy had it really was something because he didn't have he didn't have the best car on the grid very often during his career 
yeah. and he just he just made the most of it. And we've got to talk. We've got to talk. And I'll go back to you there for you because you're literally wearing the shirt. <laughs> you're literally wearing the shirt of uh, Raikkonen's uh, final win in F1. The longest gap, I think, at the time as well between... 113 races, I believe, was it? 113 races over five years. Yeah. yeah. You know, that that was a really special day because I don't think many people saw it coming, really. That year was all about Hamilton and Vettel and here comes Reichen and popping up with a win at Cota. Yeah, and taking the lead from none other than, uh, I mean, Lewis. That was That was incredible. And then their, their close battles around turn four, five, and six, which you know are just just almost uh, I won't say identical, but they are so so gripping, such such a gripping part of uh, that track at Kota. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if hypothetically, if Owen Wilson would have been there at Texas, he would have just said, "Wow!" at every single move of the Iceman, because "Wow, what are you doing, Kimi? Wow!" You know, <laughs> I can just just figuratively imagine. Because yeah, I mean, I I don't think anybody, even the you know the the biggest Raikkonen fans would have imagined that that particular weekend he would do it because you know the the and it was almost an 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 anti-climax uh, sort of a thing because I think uh, the focus was on Lewis, you know, and his battle with uh, you know Verstappen and the other drivers, and you know everybody expected him to you know get the win, and then I think. Had he won the race, if he would have won the race, then probably he would have either taken the championship or he would have just been barely a few points away from it, something like that. So Kimi, you know, jumping into the action and, you know, just uh, in a way silently retelling the world to think again before discarding him or thinking that he's over. So that was that was pretty special. And yeah, even the reaction of Sebastian Vettel at the end of the race, you know, giving a bear hug to Kimi. So I think that was fun. <laughs> the US Grand Prix was really fun. That was a great one that year. Like I said, it wasn't one we saw coming really. And every, everybody liked that. Everybody liked that. Everybody loved seeing Reckon up there in the top step for the last time in his career. Because it was it was coming for a long time. He had a lot of second places, a hell of a lot of third places. Yeah. He was on the podium more often than not in 2018. So he, he fully, fully deserved it. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to keep his seat. The the young kid, Charles Leclerc, coming in to 2019. Again, like that guy's unbelievable. I, we can write lyrical about him a lot as well. But Kiri Raikkonen, a lot of people thought he was going to retire, but no, he stuck around. He went back to his old team, Sauber, now called Alfa Romeo for sponsorship reasons. And again, especially in 2019, in his first year, Jared, you know, he, he was very consistent. It's consistently in the points where, and for a car that probably didn't deserve to be there all that often. And he was... And he's consistently throughout that time beat his teammate Antonio Giovinazzi as well. Yeah, 2019 definitely was one of those years where you're like, oh yeah, all, all isn't lost. And then when we had that crazy race in Brazil, you know, to finish fourth in the end. I mean, if something happened to to Gasly or Science up front or whatever, I mean, he could have been on the podium for Alfa Romeo, Alfa Romeo Salva, which would have been fantastic. But it's kind of been disappointing though the last two years 2020 and 2021 have been very just anonymous largely for Kimi you know we'll we'll see flashes of brilliance like you know Portugal like you guys said and then even this year at point times he's uh, been making some passes and everything but just yeah the car performance has not been there and you know it, <laughs> it always looks like oh he he doesn't he doesn't give a shit anymore but you know he's still trying and whenever he does pull through to get the points and whatnot it's it's a good day 
But 2019, that was a great year for Alfa Romeo, building on what they had the previous year with with Charles Leclerc. But ultimately, it's just, I think, the team going downhill that is kind of masking his performances as well. Because given the car, I think even today, he would still put in a great drive like, you know, Cota 2018 and everything. Monaco, the pole position that you guys were talking about as well. But yeah, it's just sadly, it's on that kind of, whimper that we'll we'll see him see out his career this weekend yeah I mean that's the thing I mean a case can definitely made for him that he should have retired after 2018 but he still wants to keep racing that's the thing and at the end of the day as well I'm sure he's given Antonio Giovinazzi a lot of a lot of advice for his, for his career and so obviously it's not worked out for him in F1 but in F3 he sorry F3 in FE he could you know potentially really shake things up there he could Maybe even win a championship there. I won't put it past him to be honest with you. I don't think he's as bad a driver as a lot of people say about him. And at the end of the day, as well, Mikhail, you know, he's been important in developing the car, in helping the team during that time. And he has, like Jared said, he got fourth in Brazil in 2019. He has had some great results. I mean, I'd even put his eighth place in Russia and Mexico this year as well. They've been great drives too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially the first year at, at Alpha was great, but at the time that car was also steadily a midfield car, I would argue. And it's been kind of, you know, sliding down back towards where Williams is now. And I mean, of course, this year has been, I guess, unlucky for, for Alpha and very lucky for Williams in some races. And Hence, they're not really competing for places at the end, back at the table anymore. But uh, yeah, Kimi has again goes back to what I was saying before. It's the, the sort of difference that he he's the level that he's able to rise on Sunday. It's something very very special. I mean, we've seen it this year. We already saw it a little bit at the end of last year. I would say, and then especially this year, the fact that Giovinazzi has got the advantage on Kimi on qualifying on on Saturdays you you've seen him out qualify him this uh, Kimi this season but then it's still every time they race it you know flips around and of course looking at the points Kimi is ahead of Antonio even though he missed two races because of covid so still shows that he definitely has talent to drive he hasn't gone anywhere even though he's driving in a in a poor car yeah and you could see in his uh, latest uh, interviews in Saudi Arabia as well uh, I think he's uh, he's happy to see that his uh, his era is about to be be over, at least on the driver side. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll come back into the sport in some other role. Well, I mean, he's got he's got his two kids, hasn't he? You know, Rob, Robin Raikkonen. There's a lot of talk about him at the moment. You know, he just started karting. You, you never know. He could be he could uh, be in Formula One one day. He would not be the first uh, son of a driver, or son of a world champion, to come back into F1. I mean, look at Mick Schumacher right now. You know, he's making waves at Haas, obviously. He just needs a better car, a bit like Reckon this year as well. But yeah, I, th- I think in all honesty, he, you know, he's probably gone out on his own terms. I I, I reckon that, I think, I think Alfa Romeo said that they would give a car to Kimi. They would always give him a seat as long as he wanted it. I think he's gone out on his own terms, in fairness. And and yeah, I think he's happy to see in the back of it. I think the travelling and everything just got too much and he's wanting to spend more time with his family, which is... Absolutely understandable. A lot of us can relate to that, of course. But yeah, we, we've gone through, you know, a quick summary of his career as quick as we can, as quick as we can do 19 seasons in Formula One. But I mean, I'll, I'll go to you next, Dev. I mean, obviously you do a cracking Kimi Raikkonen impression, but what are your famous favourite moments from him throughout the years, whether it's a silly radio conversation, something we've not like mentioned before on this on this show yet? Interestingly, if I may just uh, give uh, a different answer to this, I, I would rather 
spend uh, a minute talking about the one moment I don't really like in the sense that it's a moment which has, uh, you know, uh, given Kimi a lot of stardom once again and people have become crazy. You know, the gloves and staring whale moment, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Azerbaijan. It's a goddamn Grand Prix and the guy is really, he's, he's not panicking, but he's, he's worrying. And he's asking, he's kind, of, he's kind of reaching out and he's saying that gloves and staring wheel. And just look at look at the reality of it that, you know, a, a tricky situation was spun around to make uh, it look comic when it was anything but, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, uh, Kimi didn't say, not that he's ever said anything to sound humorous or because he doesn't put up an act, he doesn't posture or anything like that. But the simple fact that it was anything but a trivial moment for a Ferrari Formula One driver it can be taken out of a context and and being given forcefully for the lack of a better word a funny funny twist for us to to laugh about it and in you know i think some formula one official website uh, videos have actually called it one of one of the top 10 moments and i think that to me is really bizarre but what isn't and what is actually funny is uh, is when uh, you know he's asking that uh, who's leading the race and then they say it's Bottas. How did he end up? He said because he was leading the race. So, oh, I thought it's the other way around. So, that to me was funny. But definitely not the gloves and the steering wheel because I think that was a bit of a commotion, you know. It's basically making humor out of somebody who's really struggling out there. I think what makes it gold, gold for a lot of people, though, is the fact that, you know, he, he's shouting at the top of his top of his lungs and it's, he's got his got his hand on the radio as well so they can hear it and we can all hear it as well you know he's clearly shouting to the people next to him but i know what you mean it's uh there's a, there's a lot of um a lot of incredible moments on the radio and of course it's not just uh just not just gloves and steering wheels though jared of course it's his drink as well that's causing problems over the years <laughs> i was gonna bring up something to do with that which isn't quite strictly f1 but if everyone's seen the episode of the grand tour where they were doing intros for their celebrities and i know that it wasn't kimmy Raikkonen himself but kimmy basically drinking himself to death in a forest <laughs> instead of coming onto the show so but yes we've all seen the youtube clips of him doing his uh, little routine whether he's fallen off a boat in monaco or doing some drunk karaoke but yeah that's the other times that the drinks got him into trouble but yeah, <laughs> I was meaning more the yeah, I was meaning more the bottle than his car. I just, I generally did not mean that kind of drink. But yeah, I know what you mean. That's 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 caused caused a few moments. I swear, it I would it would have been remiss not to mention this sort of stuff. But well, that, that's that's the thing, isn't it? He, he still has this lifestyle outside of F one. He's still he's still out there enjoying himself with his friends. You know. Like, when it was it 2000 and I think it was 2005 or something like that in Monaco, he, he retired from the race and he, he just went straight over to his yacht and started drinking with his mates. <laughs> like while the race was still going on and the TV cameras yeah. caught it. Where well, you were referring to Hungary 2018, I think. And I think it was that you will yeah. not you will not have the drink. Yeah, you will not have the drink. But but why? <laughs> oh my god. Who knows? Who knows? Mm. I've not, and I've not actually seen the picture, but I, I mean, you you guys might have seen it. I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a picture out there of him like a, a sleeping IB for on, on like a on a floating dolphin or something like a like an inflatable dolphin. I'm sure there's a picture out there. I've never actually seen it though, but I keep hearing about it all the time. That's another one as well. I'm trying to think. There's there's some more as well. I mean, I think um, on the other Beyond the Grid podcast that he went on, he uh, he talked about what was it like going on a on a twelve day or a ten night 
drinking spree between two races and he finished and he finished on the podium the next race like well, there's the there's not there's not many guys that could do something like that like he's the one dude who can do so something they, like that I mean, Mikhail, what, what about you? What about you? Is there any other moments you want to go through before, um, before we round this one off? Um, I don't know. I mean, if you know, to continue on the drink discussion, I guess the <laughs> his latest FIA gala also remember the, the pictures. Of <laughs> oh, him being, yeah, uh, a bit, bit more, a uh, bit less, uh, I guess, socially uh, introverted with uh, with Vettel on the stage and everything. So, I guess that's one. And the one thing, this isn't really a moment, it's more of a period, but. It does, you know, looking back at his, his career and his second stint at Ferrari, I do miss the triplet of uh, Kimi, Vettel and, and Maurizio. Maurizio mm. Bene. Because they did have, there was something to that, like, there are, of course, you know, Ferrari strategically and, and whatever with the car, you know, atrocious decisions sometimes. But there was something to it when, you know, you would have Kimi doing well. And then in the post-race interview, you would have, you know, Maurizio basically, you know, shower him with compliments and saying that the Iceman is back and, and whatever. And we all knew that, you know, Kimi is still a second driver. You know, he's not really in the competition for, for a championship or anything. But to see that kind of respect from at least, you know, the boss man of Ferrari, if no one else at the, uh, in there, you know, that was something, that, something very special for those uh, few years that it lasted out. So. Yeah, I, I miss that as well. I do miss Arriva Benny at Ferrari. He was a character for sure. It, it just got toxic towards the end. He wouldn't do any yeah. interviews in English. He'd only do it in Italian. He, I think he knew the writing was on the wall for him, which I think yeah, was Yeah, he got tired. He just got tired of the circus. It, it, was, it gets too much, doesn't it? That's the thing. It gets too yeah. much after a while. I think only someone like Raikkonen could handle that for so long because he even Vettel towards the end, he was really showing that he was just done with it all the 2020 season he just had enough and I don't blame him for actually just avoided all that he, he just he just got on with it you know but yeah so a great career some fantastic moments two decades in the sport he says he might not even watch the races on TV any, <laughs> anymore after he's retired which I can believe I hope we do see him in the paddock though at some point I hope we do see him around you know, even if it's just the odd race or whatever, I would love to see that. And who knows, we may even see him, like I said, might even see him as a, as a Formula One dad in the future when Robin is old enough to join the sport. If he does go, decide to go down that path, uh, keep going with the karting and everything. Do you, uh, do you guys uh, remember that time when he was asked to give a promotional message to call the Chinese fans to see the Shanghai Grand Prix? And oh, yeah, uh, this was yeah. his... Hi, hello, Chinese fans. I'm coming to China to race in the Chinese Grand Prix. It's happening in China. <laughs> <laughs> just do the that, that was epic, Kimmy. But, you know, before before we hang up, I, I just want to, like, add a couple of lines on, on, on Kimmy and, you know, all that he's, he's meant to me and, you know, some of my mates here in India who've enjoyed watching him just as much as I have. I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, the likes of him we may never see again in Formula One is because, as you rightly said, a consecutive, you know, on the trot, so many nights of drinking and then landing on the podium rather unexpectedly. So Kimi Raikkonen will always epitomize this incredible self-confidence, the need for which he he never felt uh, to just go out there. And, you know, he, he was he was a guy who would never rub his victories on others, others' face. And the art of just being sagely aloof, whether it was, uh, you know, a defeat or a win, and not to take defeats to your heart and not to take victories to your head, and just to be sane and cool about it. I think that's precisely where that Iceman has stemmed from. 
and i think there's there's actually a lesson in there because you know the we all that's going around in the name of the ice man is you know the cool nickname the, the glasses the style and of course he's a, he's a good looking lad lad too but i think the real lesson in in kimi raikkonen is to just be absolutely honest to yourself and just go out there do your thing and then just go home and you know the fact that in an era where theatrics and shenanigans are at an all time high and they are considered an oomph Kimi Raikkonen just basically needles the balloon through his aura of simplicity, and I think that to me will always stand out. You know, he was just who he was, and he'll always be who he is. And you know, it's possible to be simple and to simply do what you're good at. You know, and just to have no hype about it. So I'm going to miss that, and it's something I, I myself relate to, which is why I, I felt this connect with Kimi. And uh, been a pleasure all these years, uh, George, to be connected with you, with F1 Chronicle, with all the wonderful people to discuss a man as enigmatic and yet as simple as Kimi, and uh, yeah, to learn something from him at the end of the day. So it's been a been quite a journey. Oh no, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, he's um, yeah, the, the, I couldn't put it better myself, Dev. That's that's great. I mean, he's he's someone we could all learn something from at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I do generally mean that. I honestly do mean that. Like like you were saying as well with the the sponsorship ones, like I think it was for Waychai. I think they were a sponsor for Ferrari, and there's an advert he did, and it's just it's just the most nonchalant, just doesn't care advert ever. He's just sat there, and just goes Waychai brings you this or something or whatever, just just completely straight faced, <laughs> and that's the best one they got. That's the one they had to use for the advert. Yeah. And and actually, just come to think of it, that you know, if if half of the world were to actually get unfazed by failure and not to take defeats to the heart, you know, it would all just be such a such a smooth sailing. No, at the end of the day, I mean, this this is what uh, I, I think Kimi's greatest uh, lesson is: is just mm. just to be normal. You know, is that it's possible to be normal, and that you don't really have to put on. A mask, or you know, just uh, this this invisible veil of just being somebody else, or as as how Bruce Lee said it, uh, you know, that you don't have to look out for a successful personality and try to duplicate him or her. Just be yourself. So yeah. that was Kimi, and I think that uh, his simplicity was his freshness. You know, absolutely in a very uh, tectonic world of Formula One, very toxic sometimes. Yeah, it's not impossible to be like. Sorry, that guys, I'm speaking video. so much. So just no, no, don't apologize. I've been told myself back, but yeah, it's just. Uh, well, no, I, I did introduce you as the Kimi Raikkonen and super fan. I did mean that, you know. That's, right, that's right. De- definitely are. So, okay. yeah, I mean, we've gone through a lot of things there. I hope, I hope we've done the man justice. I hope we've covered a lot of his greatest moments, his career, and everything. We hope he has a good race on Sunday in, in Abu Dhabi yeah, as well yeah. to to end what has been a great career, a really fantastic career. So. I'll let you guys uh, go on about your outlets as well. Jawad, I have mentioned that you uh, run your own podcast, the Hit the Apex podcast. What is that and where can people find it? Yeah, so you can find us on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media on good podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher and all. Yeah, so basically just me every week or every second week talking about Formula One. Just recently wrapped up the Supercars Championship as well in Australia after the Bathurst 1000. So yeah, go check that out. I put out the new episode yesterday. Worth a listen if you want to get my two cents worth on the shenanigans in Saudi and also wrapping it up with um, what was a pretty good race in Bathurst as well over last weekend. So, 
Yep. Definitely a lot to talk about after Saudi, which we we have done and which we'll continue to do until the race on, on Sunday. I, ca- I can't wait. I'm already kind of nervous for it to be honest. It's a massive <laughs> title decided. This is the thing about Kimmy as well. Like there's this huge title battle going on. People are still talking about it. People are still talking about this being his last race, you know. And rightfully so. Like I said, I just hope it doesn't take too much spotlight away from the championship battle. But yeah, it's um it's something we can definitely spend a lot of time on. Mikhail, I mentioned that you're a journalist that you do that you write articles. Um who where, where can we find some more from you? Yeah, so apart from participating in the podcast for from Chronicle, you can find some of my reports on uh, on Sportlight and Sportlight Pro. And then also I guess I'll shout out my Twitter as well. So my personal Twitter, Mikhail KDJ, if you wanna follow. Um not too active there, but uh some F1 stuff there at least <laughs> more active than me I left Twitter some time ago but uh, yeah definitely <laughs> do <laughs> definitely do it's an interesting place for sure I, I definitely am glad I'm out of F1 Twitter this season because it's just it's just been too much Arguably, just keep it yeah just keep it to the podcast. That's what I do. Dev, I mean, obviously you you have your own cricket website. You write for the F1 Chronicle. Anything else you want to plug? I write for a wonderful uh, growing website called Sportlight Pro. You can find some opinion pieces there and some listicles on. The drivers, we need to have uh, strong uh, Grand Prix weekends. Uh, been a pleasure in doing that. And another website I write for is uh, Cairo Sports. It's based in India. And it's, otherwise, it's pretty much funchronicle.com. Yeah, Dev does a lot of stuff. He writes about a lot of different subjects. He's a great journalist. And yeah, I'm very happy to have him on my website as well. But yeah, I will mention that uh, we still have uh, some competitions going for you guys. Three in total, if you want to get involved. If you give us a five-star review on iTunes, you will get a shout-out shout at the start of the next show and you'll be entered into a draw to win some free merchandise from our store f1chronicle.com forward slash store the other competitions are if you subscribe to our YouTube channel F1 Grid Talk uh, we normally do go out live on YouTube uh, this being an exception because it's a pre-recorded one normally we do go out live shortly after the qualifying and after the race and also we'll be doing a season review as well uh, on Monday just after the final race of the season so you guys can head into the Christmas period before we to have a little break for the new year and then we get some more podcasts to you guys um and also if you give us a comment on the youtube video itself like for this one when this one's up if you just leave a comment below you'll also be entered. So that's three chances to win some fr- free merch from our store which includes of course mugs t-shirts all that good stuff and hoodies as well and also we've just hit over 300 subscribers on youtube i think we're heading towards 350 as well which is fantastic for you guys thank you for getting involved on there, getting involved in the live chat as well when the shows are live streamed. We're also available on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Verbal, Omni Studio and Pocket Cast. Just search for the F1 Grid Talk on all those. And we have a massive back catalogue of shows as well that you guys can explore on f1chronicle.com it's over 150 episodes now we'll be at 200 before you know it as well and that's not just the previews qualifying reviews and the race reviews but it's also more documentary style pieces like this one like we did for Ayrton Senna Michael Schumacher uh, 1994 Benetton Conspiracy Tigate and interviews with authors like Maurice Hamilton and Mario Isola from Pirelli and yes we'll be back on Saturday, the day after this podcast goes live to analyze qualifying for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. There's a lot to play for and I can't wait to experience it with you guys as well. So yes, we'll see you live after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix qualifying for that. Thank you very much for joining us, lads. Really do appreciate and it as always. George, uh, Thank you. Before we hang out, before we hang up, it made perfect sense that this was episode number 160 because one plus six is Kimi Raikkonen's car number. <laughs> we didn't plan True. that we did not True. plan that genuinely well, that's incredible I mean, for me it's good <laughs> that was fun 
<laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank this you. This is the same number I had last year when asked yeah. why did he choose number seven yeah. as his <laughs> driver number. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of people wanted number seven as well, including Bottas. <laughs> Desperately, yeah. they're just like, oh, Kimmy had it. Why did Kimmy have it? Oh, I had it the last year, you know. It doesn't make a difference to me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so someone's gonna have to wait until 2024 to get that number now because it yeah. has to it goes on for another two years. <laughs> oh Kimmy, never change Kimmy. We will miss you. Happy retirement, all the best. And yes, uh, like I said, we'll see you tomorrow for the next Grid Top podcast as well. Goodbye, guys. Have a good one. See you for that one. See you guys. Thank you. Goodbye.